Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. In this bonus edition of Keeping Score, executive editor Dan Colarusso sits down with Milwaukee Bucks president Peter Fagan. Here's their conversation. Today we have Peter Fagan, who's the president of the Milwaukee Bucks, the NBA franchise, and we thought we'd catch up to him a little bit. A lot going on in the world of sports business these days, from arenas to esports to uh, the salary cap, almost everything. These uh, rolling in every aspect of the business these days. So I want to chat a little bit with Peter. Peter, good to see you again. It's been a while. I see um, you. Tell me a little bit about the Bucks these days. You guys are about 500 as a team, but you're on the upswing pretty much. You have a great international player. How are things going in general? Few games over 500. Few games we're, over 500. We're, we're in the fourth season of new ownership. Right. We're kind of like we're still in the startup phase, we think, a young team. We've, uh, we've got about a billion dollars of capital in the ground mm. in the middle of Milwaukee uh, for kind of our economic development story. And... Uh, we're on the rise. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting story because you, you ha- hit at almost every trend in sports media today. You have uh, New York ownership, uh, not New York, but you have ownership that comes from Wall Street. And there are a lot of Wall Street guys planting seeds around sports franchises these days simply because it is a great long-term investment. It's interesting. And you're building a business. You have the real estate play. Let's talk about the arena a little bit. What's the, what's the plan at this point? You have public-private partnership. Right, so there's a public-private partnership for $500 million to build the arena. We think it'll be a little bit over that, mm. you know, which will be at owner's expense. And then that's, that's about six acres of the 30 acres we acquired. And just think of the, 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 the live, play, work concept. So we've got residential going up. We've got our training center. We've got a medical office building. Right. We've got a 1,250-spot parking structure. Right. And now really the entertainment comes, so the front plaza. And it, the whole concept is how do you build a neighborhood? How do you right. build a magnet? to create density and really build like a thriving business. Does that, is there a different dynamic? You've worked in New York before in, uh, for some New York franchises. Is there a different dynamic in Milwaukee as there would be in a, in a New York, LA, Chicago in doing that? Well, to simplify it, I always kind of laugh and say, like in New York, you can make, you can make a lot of mistakes. Right. You know, when you have an 18 million person DMA, like mm-hmm. you, can, you can go around and, and miss on some fan base and stuff. When you're a smaller market or mid-market, you really have to like grassroots block and tackle. You've got to build equity with fans. You've got to really focus on acquisition. You've got to focus on retention. You've got to do it right. You've got to be smart about it. Um, and that's kind of how we've attacked the business. What do you think the, the kind of secret weapon, when, when I'm looking at it from a layman's point of view, at a, arena development, what do you think the secret sauce is that maybe the layman doesn't get uh, about what's going to make this really work? Well, it's all about the experience. So, like, the, the number one thing is how do you have easy use? How do you make it affordable enough? How do you make it so people come to... 50 NBA games when we win a championship, that's the max number of games. But we want to have 200 events in this arena. So, you know, concerts, family shows, events. Mm. But win or lose, like great concert 
or not, how do they come back? Right. So the secret sauce is like, how is it authentic? How is it customized? And how is the experience just incredible from food and beverage to navigating the right. arena to really being special? Right. Now, how does, how does winning and losing affect that? And we saw the Marlins famously right. in baseball a couple of years ago, signed a bunch of free agents, opened up a new stadium, had a disco, swimming pools, the whole, the whole shebang. And the team crapped out fairly early. They had a fire sale. Um, how important is winning and losing to establishing that as, a, as kind of an economic development beachhead? It's essential. Yeah. So you have to have a strategy to win. Yeah. And kind of like in business in general, I think. And right, so do right. our owners think. But it's a total accelerant. So mm. you're an okay team. Your business should be okay. You should create the experience, the infrastructure. But boy, you win and you've created a great foundation. The, the accelerant and the magnification of just blowing it out of the park right, right. is insurmountable. So that's the whole key is how do you build it to win and really kind of take an international, national, and local audience over the top. What do you think needs to happen for the team to get to, you know, to, get to that accelerant? Well, I think we're one or two pieces short. Mm -hmm. I think we say that you know, generally. We've got to be a deeper team. Right. But, but the goal and the roadmap is to win right. an NBA championship. So right. we don't shy away from that. We say it all the time. Like The team is not successful until it starts competing for an NBA championship. So we've made it in the first round of the playoffs of the NBA. The real key is how do you make it into the second and third rounds of the Eastern Conference Finals? And how do you become one of the elite teams? Like you've got to win over 50 games a season. You've got to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And those are all building blocks and objectives like we have as a franchise. And how important is that in terms of your revenue base too? Like when you do that, you look at how many jerseys you're able to sell overseas, how you play into the larger picture of the NBA's growth experience, yeah, we whether look at, it's a sponsorship, jer jersey sponsorship, whether it's an overseas appearance, you know, whatever that might be. Yeah, the perfect example is we look at for acquisition because you've come hot, exciting, right. we've got a cool brand and how do we blow that out? And then you also look at a retention, you know, so how do you compound like right. your fan base? Retention is really important. So if you're winning and you go deep into the playoffs, your season ticket renewal, for example, will be over 95%. You know, which is really important as you build your base. Your television ratings, nice. you know, will be two to three X they normally are. Retail sales, food per caps. I mean, it all multiplies like as you as you succeed. And the superstar quotient in terms of having, you know, teams like it seems like the formula now you need three stars in the team to win an NBA championship. Let's say it's a conventional wisdom, yeah. uh, let's say. Um, and so, so all that revenue foundation builds into being able to afford those players or does that come after? I mean, how does that... You know, it, it, it's it's a corresponding path. Right. So you have to spend as you're as you're building right. a small market team. You don't have the revenue base that you would have in a big market mm -hmm. team. So I think owners of all teams have to make that decision. Like we are going to compete at the cap, and then we're going to make a move to play over the cap right. and have our revenues correspond with it as we grow and win. Yeah, you, so that's the calculation. Yeah. So it's not like the fights that me and my meathead friends have in a bar. Like we would trade this guy right. for all of these guys. You have the greatest job, like in the business, because we all want to. We all do this as a recreation. You get to do it for a living. I mean, real you know, rotisserie basketball. Yeah. Real. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. You know, it was interesting. We we were talking a little bit ahead of time about esports and the rise of esports, which for those for the uninitiated, it's people watching other people play video games of whatever, sure. whatever the thing may be. Now, the NBA, I didn't even realize this until a couple of days ago, the NBA has 17 franchises in an, in an eSports NBA league. In an NBA uh, 2K league. NBA right. 2K. Um, you're into that now. You guys have gotten involved with that. There are even jersey sponsorships on the imaginary players. 
uh, for some teams, I, I understand. Oh, there's arena uh, entitlement, jersey right, sponsors, right, right. streaming. How do we how do we get seat and hardware sponsors? Right. But it's a real league, and mm. I think what people don't understand, and what's so kind of innovative mm. about the NBA, is overnight we will have we have 30 million people playing NBA 2K like around the world. Right, right. That will multiply. You know, as people mm. have access to streaming. And then think of the physical site. You know, all of us who have arenas mm. and sports bars can now transition to e-sporting lounges and right. and competition. And is that that's arenas. really people are talking about these things now? Because to me, it's it's totally foreign. Um, I, I'm you know I'm not a fan of that per se. But to hear that hear you talk about it, like there are plans, like there's a whole ecosystem around this. There, there's not a question. I mean, people ask like, when did you know? Mm. You know, so I think three or four years ago when they were looking at League of Legends, mm. kind of doing the championship streaming and you saw numbers like 25 and 30 million people mm. watching a stream, you know, which competes with the greatest sporting events in the world. Right, I mean, right. I really think in 12 months time, you know, we have a much greater audience engaged with and watching our esport team than we do some of our NBA teams. It's amazing. At some point, it, you know, it's funny. I was, it's like, it's the robots taking over. You know, it's a joke. <laughs> it's, like, when do we not need real players anymore? Right. Let's just have avatars and, you know, uh, we'll go from there. How do you find talent for this? Well, you, you literally find talent. Mm. And it's so funny you ask because yeah. our, our two millennials, because right. they have to be millennials yeah, who yeah, run yeah, this, yeah. are literally like getting coached by our GM. Mm. on how to recruit, how to systematically, strategically draft. There are about 200 world-ranked right. like players that will have a draft, and we're literally going out and prospecting them now, engaging in conversation, <laughs> figuring out. I mean, we'll so, have, we house them, we train them. You don't worry about the vertical sport. leap. You don't worry we about don't, the vertical, you check thumb size, uh, though? Is it, that the idea? It's perfect. Yeah. It, it, it's, you know, you have to be 18 or over to mm. play in the league, but then it's, it's limitless. Like, no That's height amazing. restrictions for right, us. Right. No race, no gender, no any, I mean, it is purely like the league everybody can engage and in. And is it international at this point? You look at you look for players in other countries or No question. Mm -hmm. So I think I think uh, there's a big core of domestic players, right. but Indonesia, you know, China, Shanghai, right. I mean and by the way, everybody is super hyper competitive right. like in these 17 first teams that are in. So you can right. bet everybody's scouring the world to get the best players. And look, a question, how much does one of these guys get paid? Or one of these people? Because well, again, you don't have to be a, a male either, I imagine. So right. Well, well, there's six-figure salaries mm. in, in e-gaming like around the world. Right. And I, I think as people become more prominent, you know, the, the ability for them to get paid goes up and up, you know, over the six figures. I mean, there's certainly in today's kind of more evolved like leagues and mm. leagues of legends. I mean, there are million-dollar guys, you know, who who literally have hundreds of thousands of people watching them play every minute they're That's training and, and get down. But, uh, you know, we see it evolving as a platform with all 30 teams like pretty quickly. Yeah and kind of being a fun thing that will be able to transcend and, and drop into arenas, drop into other places around the world. Right, it feels fairly modern. I mean, it feels progressive in, in the sense of like the interactivity that live sports, you know, for a while live sports was the ticket, right? And then live didn't become enough. Then you needed to be live and interactive. This seems like it's fairly progressive in that direction uh, in terms of bringing in the people who aren't going to the stadium to watch the actual game diversifying the fan base, getting younger, like all those things seem to play it, in, right? It truly is like the mm. greatest brand extension ever, you know, right, to right. take take a kid in Shanghai who can play as Giannis, right. you know, right, right, and, right. and play in like a tournament is a yeah. pretty neat concept. That's fantastic. In real time. 
So back to the real world. We'll wrap it up. But um, to the real world, the stadium, what's the, the time the timetable for, for the arena now? Well, good. We're about 70% completion. Mm. We're completely enclosed. We'll be on time. Mm. We'll, uh, we'll open it, you know, probably in early September yeah. with some entertainment. And we'll have our first NBA season, you know, in the arena um, next year. That's fantastic. You have, and uh, is there a name on this arena yet? Or is it, you guys still looking for a partner? Still looking for naming rights. Uh, we're kind of in the later stages, kind of did a nice international prospecting right. of uh, naming rights as well as domestic. It's an unbelievable time, you know, kind of in the world and the NBA today. So you've got these domestic companies that understand media and impressions and understand the value of the reach of the NBA. Right. So, you know, we broadcast in 215 countries. Our digital reach is almost surpassed in Asia versus domestically. You know, there, there yeah. are all these trends that are happening. So you get the right partner who understands that, and you've got an unbelievable value proposition. Right, and you could take a city like Milwaukee, um, which is second size city compared to the major markets and really extend it into out, outward from that because of the international and digital reach, right? Right. You can define as no more small markets. Right, right. right. Interesting. Great. Well, Peter, thanks a lot for coming by. I appreciate uh, it. Thanks so much for Good having us. You.